Today on Sexually Woke with Dr. Susan, I'm speaking again with Mary Jo Rapini. This is part two of a conversation about how to have intimate conversations, and we're diving into how to heal the hurt in relationships. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Sexually Woke with me. And I'm joined again by Mary Jo Rapini. Hi, Mary Jo. Hi. This is part two of a two-part conversation. We had so much to say last week. We had to come back and keep talking. So Mary Jo, as you recall, is a psychotherapist working in the sexual intimacy and relationship space. And she and I work together a lot. We were talking last week about opening up conversations and telling our truth. And we touched on something really important, which was how to have those more difficult conversations and really heal the hurt when when, when harm has been done or when relationships are in trouble. So this is a tough conversation, right, Mary Jo? Like, how do we, how do, we do this? Well, I think the most important part for healing the hurt is to be able to validate when you're hurt. Many of us grew up with parents who were somewhat shaming. They didn't know how to deal with hurt. And so when you would go to them crying, they would basically shut you down. They never, many times, a lot of parents said, you know, stop crying. Or if you, if you think you're hurt, you know, I'll give you something to really hurt about. And so many of us are very uncomfortable with our partner when our feelings are hurt, and we don't know how to express it, how to express it in a way that our partner will stop in their tracks and address it. A lot of times partners get defensive with each other. And Susan, I'm sure you see this too, rather than listening and, and apologizing for that hurt. Yeah, that I just resonate with that. When I was growing up, um, not to criticize our parents, you know, every parent did the best they mm-hmm. could, but in that generation, I think it was certainly more common. I was told, don't cry. Like if I was crying, like, oh, don't cry, stop crying. It mm-hmm. was not acceptable in my family to have any unpleasant or negative emotions. You were just supposed to hide them. And if right. you, even if you had a cut or something, you know, physical injury, you were supposed to just be tough. And I really resonate with that. I grew up being very sure that you were not supposed to talk about your hurt. It's so true. And I I think sometimes what happens with couples and why um, ultimately they go to therapy is because they're not able to get what they need from their partner. So they keep trying. And as you make attempts to try and express that many times, you'll explode during the conversation. You'll resort back to old things you used to do or you saw modeled for you. Maybe you give your your partner the silent treatment or you withdraw, you stonewall, you get defensive because these were modeled for you and you're stressed. And when your partner is stressed, you're afraid that you're the cause. And so you just go back into almost like a childlike mode rather than addressing it as a mature adult. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Because I... I can feel how that's happened to me, actually, and I see it in uh, many of the patients and clients that I see in coaching that, you know, when we're under stress, we do regress often unless we've learned yes. a better way of coping. I, I do. I sometimes act like a, to this day, sometimes if I'm under a lot of stress, I will act like a child. 
and and I can see it now and stop it. But that is an interesting thing that we regress to things that we learned at a very young age. And I, I think what's really important, Susan, is that couples understand that when hurt isn't healed, it turns into resentment and bitterness. And it takes away your libido, takes away your sexuality. You begin to feel like you don't like your partner, maybe even repulsed by your partner. Yeah, we've talked about this several times that um, resentment is one of the biggest libido killers. And so... Uh, Let's talk about the, the kind of hurt that comes up in relationships. And there's there's so many ways that we can hurt each other. I mean, sometimes they're intentional and sometimes they're not. But what are, what are the biggest kind of hurts that you see that women in particular have trouble communicating? So we can sort of start with some examples of how we might do that in a healthier way. Well, I think when partners feel criticized, that's a big one. I think feeling ignored, like let's say you go out with your partner and an old friend or colleague of your partner's comes up to the table. If your partner ignores that they're sitting with you, they don't don't make it known to this person who you are. I think a lot of women have, and men, feel slighted with that. I think one of the biggest things that I've seen that hurts feelings are betrayals of any kind, whether that's an emotional infidelity or physical infidelity, or just, you know, you can, you can betray your partner many ways. You cannot be present for them. You can leave them alone. You can make them suffer in silence. Those things are all forms of betrayal that end up hurting your partner. Yeah, and it's so true that the types of hurt could be something really massive, like someone had an affair, or something relatively minor, like you just didn't introduce me to your friend at a party. But they all hurt. And I mean, even those relatively small things, I know for me, they add up to, I can just feel myself kind of shrinking and clenching just thinking about that. I'd be, I would be so irritated. And if I wasn't able to voice that in a healthy way, I would go home and I would sleep with my back turned to him. And he wouldn't know why, but I would just be giving him the silent treatment because I'm pissed off that you didn't introduce me to your friend. And I can totally see how that's probably happened a thousand times in my life. Absolutely. It happens to all of us. And I think that's why doing this podcast is so poignant because we ignore this stuff. And sometimes we even you know, criticize ourselves. We're, we're our own worst enemy. We tell ourselves, I shouldn't be upset by this. It was a small slight, you know, I'm so petty. And then we end up feeling even worse about it because we can't even validate it ourselves. We can't, it's almost like we can't defend, we, we can't stand up for ourselves and advocate, no, this is a real feeling and I feel it. And then share it with their partner because we don't we don't value our own feelings. And I think that's at the crux of this. What makes it so difficult to get healing from those hurts when we're in a relationship? I think a lot of us struggle. A lot of women I know struggle, and I've worked on this myself, with even identifying our feelings. I, like using that example where you know, he didn't introduce me to his friend at dinner. I might feel pissed off or irritated, but I, I'm not 
sitting with it and analyzing, okay, what am I feeling? You know, where do I feel it in my body? You know, what's going on here? Like really giving time to identifying what's going on. So then that feeling is going to come out in a, a different way. Like you said, I might blow up or I might sleep with my back turned or, but I haven't actually done the work to really identify what I'm feeling. And I, I think for me, it has to start with that. Like I need to be able to identify what I'm feeling and for me, I feel, we feel things in our body. I think I certainly do. Like I'm feeling this tight feeling in my body. What is that feeling? Why am I feeling this way? And then how can I translate that into words in a healthy way to help bring connection back into the relationship? And boy, did I, I wish I knew how to do that 20 or 30 years ago because <laughs> would have solved a lot of, saved a lot of trouble. So how do we start this process of just feeling how we're feeling well, and then learning how to translate it into words. Well, I love that you were vulnerable and you shared that you'll feel something um, like in your gut and then the behavior that will ensue, like you'll roll over your back to your partner. It's a silent form of anger. It's a silent form of what happens when we have a hurt that wasn't soothed or we weren't reassured. And I, and I like where you're going, that you feel it in your body. And I think this is a big problem. What we feel in our body, we carry with our body. And so what ends up happening is we end up feeling worse and worse. We feel exhausted, sluggish. And until we can free ourselves from those things by just opening the door, and it starts with one sentence, when you feel that hurt, you tell your partner, I feel hurt. Now, I'm from that point, I'm expecting the reaction of the partner to be one of concern because if they love you, when you love someone, you are concerned. And if you own it, you're not blaming them. You're just saying, I feel hurt. And then hopefully after that, your partner would stop and say, what, what's the matter? But at that point, you have to be able to follow that and say, it's, it's my reaction to this and explain the situation, what happened and how that affected you. Because many times when we're in a relationship, we don't understand how the words we say or the behaviors we display affect our partner. Mm, for sure. And I think it's so important what you said, and I've tried to study this myself, to use I language, which is often described uh, to if we're saying something about how we feel, to start it with I. I feel hurt instead of what I might have done when I was younger, said, you didn't do, you know, <laughs> yeah. which is not going to be received as well. You know, stay, stay with your own feelings, and you're much more likely not to get a defensive response. But I think that's the most important thing that I learned to start those conversations with, I feel, and they're much more likely to be listened to. Um, but yeah, I, and then sometimes we don't get a positive response. I think a lot of times many of us have said, I, you know, I feel hurt by what happened and we might get a response like, well, you're just overreacting or, you, you know, something... A, dismissive or not validating our feelings. And then often we'll sort of shut down and say, well, then I'm not going to tell you how I feel anymore. And that 
often ends up with a big bunch of disconnection and they end up seeing you in their office because obviously that type of disconnection is not good for a sexual relationship. Right. Well, and Susan, you know, I, I think not only that, when, you know, when you say I feel hurt to your partner, many partners are carrying their own hurts that have never been spoken or talked about. So it's not only one of us that has to change. Like I can listen to my body and say, ouch, or ah, that hurt. I feel hurt. But if my partner has years of never being able to validate their feelings and they feel guilty, maybe they feel responsible, you can expect a harsher reaction. So the partners who are hurting the worst or feel the most responsible many times are the most hurtful with their comeback. And if a partner saying this understands that rather than taking it personally, which we all do. I mean, this is advanced. This is when you are really aware of what's going on and you can see clearly that your partner is feeling defensive or guilty or that they're at fault. Then you begin understanding, okay, I'm going to choose my reaction to that because I, I, I have, I have a sense of what's going on, but most of us just react. And because we react, we just turn these little things like I feel slighted into very big things. We do. And by the way, it really isn't a little thing. If you feel like you were slighted, I mean, when a partner prioritizes you, right, they're supposed to push you out in front of them. And, and you're like, basically they want everyone to know who you are, but that's, that's great in movies. And that's great on, you know, the Bridgertons, but in real life, we all get messy with that. We get sloppy, we get lazy and we get tired and we forget. We do for sure. And I I love that you said those little things are not always so little, but we do, you said last week, which I love, we do make mountains out of molehills. And I think the more we don't talk about something, something very seemingly small, like the example you gave, now I'm giving him the silent treatment and a week's gone by and I'm still giving him the silent treatment. And now it's it's a big thing because I wasn't able to just communicate in real time. At that dinner, hey, sweetie, I felt hurt that you didn't introduce me to your friend. That type of just real-time honesty, I think, would go so far if we could just step outside of the way that we're conditioned to communicate so that we can avoid these long periods of conflict. And, and that shows up in the bedroom. And we're, we're, you know, we're talking about sex, but it all starts with having a connected relationship. It's absolutely true. I mean, if the scenario you just described was a whole week of the silent treatment and nobody's having sex, nobody's having intimacy. And meanwhile, you're, you're stepping further and further away from each other and it's getting more and more uncomfortable. And, you know, honestly, Susan, we could do a whole workshop on this, just taking taking couples. And I'm sure as people view this and listen to it, they'll start saying, oh, my goodness, that's me. That's me. Just, you know, scripting different scenarios because we all are guilty. We all have great difficulty opening that door to saying we're hurt. And it all begins with us acknowledging that feeling of being hurt. 
Mm. It's universal. We've all felt hurt. Yeah. It'd be so great if we could all just in real time, acknowledge our feelings, feel where they feel, say it out loud, kindly using eye language to the person involved and just get it out in the open. But why is it not that easy? You know, so few of us do that. I've just learned how to do that in the last few years. And I certainly didn't know how to do it when I was younger. Uh, Why is it so hard? You know, in the meantime, then I'm thinking, uh, while I'm giving someone the silent treatment, they're making up a giant story about something that happened, like maybe I'm having an affair or maybe this or that, because in the absence of information, we make up stories and then it gets bigger and bigger. And so these are things that happen in most or many relationships. So why is it so hard just to tell our hurt? I I think so much of it is just the way we censor things. We want, we we're embarrassed about what we're feeling. We've identified feeling with being feminine or weak. And now, you know, society is really changing. It's making men, you know, we're, we're making certain emotions um, gender oriented. So if you cry, it's feminine. If you say I'm hurt, it's feminine. If you, um, if you, say, if you say your truth, which makes you look vulnerable, it's considered feminine. And let's face it, you can be the strongest woman or man in the world, but if you're not in tune with what you're feeling and you're not able to advocate and express that feeling, because a feeling is not right or wrong. It just is. It's a chemical, washes over the brain. And when you disallow it or you suppress that feeling, then eventually you become overwhelmed, you're numb, and you turn to addictions for comfort because you begin feeling more and more isolated. So when you or I say our truth to our partner, we're actually giving them a bid for affection. We're saying, I trust you with with what's dearest and closest to the essence of who I am. That's my feelings. And, And because I trust you, I believe that I'm going to feel better after I tell you. It's a silent power that couples give each other. We don't voice that, but it's to be understood. So I don't understand why we have this layer of self-protection of just being real. And if you can't express what you're feeling, at least say, ouch, to your partner. So then maybe that space would create an opening for you to explain what you were feeling. That would be a beautiful practice. Yeah, just ouch, because sometimes that's how it feels. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that, that's a great piece of advice as an opening, if we could learn to do that and just make that okay in our families to say, ouch, when something hurts. Um, you well, know, I love what you said, because you said you're learning it. So... Every, like, you know, basically, it doesn't matter when you learn a skill. What matters is you you learn it. You have the aha moment, and then you practice it. So in a sense, you're never too old to learn how to advocate for what you feel. You can be 
65 and just finally get it. A light bulb goes on when you're listening to this and you say, you know what? All my life, I have suppressed how I feel. And I'm stopped. I'm going to practice something new, something healthier. And you may find that a whole new world opens. People might come to you more. You might feel better about life. You may start feeling more moments of joy in your life because you're unleashing all that crap you've been carrying around for Mm -hmm. years. Yeah, I found a real lightness of being just with learning how to tell the truth about my feelings, just walking around feeling lighter, a sense of relief. And it's not always fun and pleasant. I mean, some of these conversations are difficult, but I think whenever we're telling our truth in a kind way, there is a lightness and a sense of ease and relief. Cause like you said, it's, it's heavy to carry this stuff around. So what about forgiveness? Like some of these things we're talking about, we might've been really hurt. I mean, maybe someone's done something that really was harmful. Um, and some of these things we hold on to, I'm thinking of examples, you know, maybe I'm in a thinking about some couples. I know they're still married, but there was a serious betrayal and affair maybe years before and they got through it and they had counseling there together, but it still isn't there's still that heaviness there. I, it's not quite healed because it hasn't been really forgiven. But, you know, how do we get past those really big hurts? That's a really good question, Dr. Susan. I, I think a lot of times what forgiveness is, is that it's, it's a passage the forgiver goes through. Many people, when they're trying to forgive something, they, they give a lot of focus to the reaction of the party who offended them. Like if that party was, that person was able to tell them, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm so sorry I hurt you. I'm asking you to forgive me and to help guide me. So I will never do that again. An apology like that, and then follow through that they go out of their way to make amends. That's gonna be easier to forgive then those hurts that will never be forgiven, such as sexual trauma or sexual abuse or betrayal, where where this where your partner that you fully trusted, you know, went out with someone else or carried on an affair with someone for years before they were honest about it. The only way you can really forgive that is to trust the process of time. And then to also trust your ability to let it go. And I I mean trusting your ability because for a long time, you need to hang on to that because if you let it go, there will be a huge void. And if if it's fairly new and you let go too soon, you can become really depressed if you forgive and move forward without really processing what that was. Forgiveness is a wonderful thing to do to set yourself free. But with that, you have to have enough investment in your own life and where you're going in the future in order to give up that grievance, that whatever happened. And so my idea is when couples like your friends betrayed each other, they or the one partner betrayed, 
the, the one that still hasn't fully forgiven is still worried about that void they're going to fill. That's such an interesting idea. I think there's so much in what you said. One, one thing that I believe that I've just realized recently, I think, is that forgiveness for me is just in my own mind. It doesn't require another person. That's different than reconciliation. So I, I kind of separate those two things. So I, you're right. There's a lot of things that are never going to be reconciled. I'll never get an appropriate apology. The person might be dead, or it might have been something that happened when I was a child, and the person, I don't know where they are. I'm not going to be able to have a conversation. For, for example, my mother is 87, and I have some things that I would love for to hear her apologize about, but she has Alzheimer's and that's never going to happen. So the forgiveness has to be just on my side. It's me saying, I don't want to carry that anger anymore, which is different than reconciliation, you know, with a couple who, uh, you know, I want to hear an apology. And so I've, I've kind of divided those two things a little bit, you know, forgiveness being just all about me and, and reconciliation being about the two people. Does that, resonate with you? I love that because what that tells me is that you are taking ownership of your hurt. You're taking ownership of what you feel and you're advocating and allowing yourself to free yourself from from that hurt. Because the whole idea of grieving is you hang on to the story that hurts you. Because in our minds, we think if we hang on to it and keep it alive, that we are punishing the other person, that we have a right to punish the other person. In actual life, what happens is when you hang on to it, it rots you from the inside, the inside out, and it does nothing to the other person. Mm, so it, true. It won't, it won't do, I mean, it's not hurting them. They may feel bad later about what they did, but it's not because you wouldn't forgive them. There's right, there's definitely some point where I have had to decide in my own life that this is something I don't want to carry anymore and, and let it go. And I think letting go doesn't mean it's condoning that the other person did. It's not condoning what they did. It's not letting them off the hook, all these things we don't want to do. I've had those things too. I really want to hold on to it because I want to punish them, like you said. But in no way does forgiveness say what they did was okay or that it didn't hurt or that they're free to do it again or all these things. It's just simply saying, I don't want to carry this anymore myself. And it's such a freeing practice to do. And I, there was something else you said that I really resonated with this idea. And I, I'll just talk about an experience I've had. I had a, um, my whole life lived with this story that I had an abusive mother and part of the story is true. And part of its story, cause I, who knows what really happened. I would, you know, you repeat mm-hmm. it so many times. Um, but in the process of me letting go of that, um, anger because it wasn't going to be resolved, like, you know, um, and, and really forgiving, I realized, you know, if I dropped that story or realized that maybe the story had holes in it or maybe the story wasn't even all true, like who would I be without that story? And that was sort of the void you were talking about that I, I might have to accept that 
part of this is a story. And this person that, you know, that I identified with being a abused child or whatever it is that you might identify with, that's an identity that I'm going to need to let go of. And that can leave a void. So I think that's such an important thing to recognize that we're identifying sometimes with this hurt so much that we don't want to let it go. Yes. I mean, I've seen couples who basically they split and then 20, 30 years later, one of them dies and the other one at that point is, has to make a decision. I'm going to let this go and face this void or I'm going to carry it beyond the grave. And it's interesting. I mean, we all have to grieve each other our loved ones beyond the grave. But if there was ever a time to let forgiveness happen or let a story go, it's when they're gone. Because then what is the purpose? Well, the purpose is for you, that story still has meaning. Not you, not you Dr. Susan, but anyone who needs to hang on to that. And it doesn't mean you're being bad. It doesn't mean you're being mentally ill. It just means you got stuck. You have what we call complicated grief. If you, if you hang on to those kinds of things forever. Well, in intimate relationships, um, which is the world that you and I both work in mostly, mm-hmm. coming back to things like a couple who have gone through a betrayal, you know, a, something yes. like that. Um, what are some other examples? I'm just thinking about the big stuff. Like they've gone through this. Like they are still together. So this isn't a couple that's decided to split. They're still together, but there's this tension, this um, inability to let go of the hurt in some way, I think, because there is a holding on to the story. And the the example I was talking about, for sure, there's this holding on to, he yes. did this, you know, and I'm not going to let him off the hook. And so we're going to mm-hmm. live in this perpetual state of me being kind of having a one-up sort of you know, I've got this thing over him that I'm going to just hold on to. Exactly. And, and I, I would just, I think that would be the biggest creating, that would be creating a miserable existence mm-hmm. in my, in my experience and in my, you know, work with clients. I, I think this really is so significant though. It's, you know, we always talk about being in love. Love is not the most important thing in a relationship trust is. Mm -hmm. If you mess with trust, if you betray someone, restoring trust takes 10 times as long to restore it after any infidelity or any betrayal than than any love you'll ever have. You can love a person again, but you will never fully trust them. And, you know, that's why I say trust is the foundation of a relationship. And what makes it so difficult with when we talk about forgiveness and betrayal um, in relationships, and that's a big source of probably what Dr. Susan and I both see, because it takes such a it takes such a you know terrible destructive pattern in relationships. Letting go of that is very difficult because you your partner could could say they're sorry, they could change their whole, you know, how they did things. You can block all of social media. You can block your phone. But at the end of the day, the trust was violated. And I've seen couples who, when they finally are able to let go of that, 
they, they've already split because being together, married, and trying to forgive a cheating spouse is very difficult. So it's difficult. almost easier. It's almost easier if you split and then you work on forgiveness. And then if it ever, I have had couples remarry after they've gone through this, although it's not frequently. Done. So this is fascinating because it's so common. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. the statistics on infidelity in marriage, but it's common, right? We know more of it happens than we know about. Um, Especially emotional. Yeah. So the em- emotional infidelity is just skyrocketing. The physical maybe is, is maintaining where it's always been. So just to talk about emotional infidelity, that's some, it's a term I think some people are not familiar with, but I think a lot of uh, people in marriages are seeking out other people to be intimate with and have, you know, really close, very close friendships, maybe even having sex on the phone, or maybe they're not actually physically having sex, but that's a huge betrayal also, isn't it? I mean, it's... Oh, that's... We could do so many podcasts on that. And in fact, I do YouTubes and that's the number one area that people are interested in because people have emotional affairs with colleagues. They have it with friends. They have it when they're on business, people they meet. And you can do it so easily on social media. Before you know it, this third entity is entered your your marriage, your relationship that you thought was sacred. And it's a form of betrayal and cheating, and it causes all sorts of problems in, in relationships. Very difficult to forgive the trust it betrays to. So, you, you know, you work in this space, and you're working with couples all the time who've been through these kind of challenges, and they're trying to restore their relationship, or they wouldn't be mm-hmm. in your office. Can you ever restore, I, I mean, it, it sounds really hard to do. Have you seen couples who have truly restored trust after something this dramatic has happened? Or, or do you think it's just not possible? I think it's possible. And yes, I've seen it. Two thirds of all couples who, struck, who have had betrayal or infidelity in the marriage stay together after the marriage. And that's why we always say that if you if your partner has an affair, there's a high likelihood that they're not going to leave you and marry that person. But what they do leave you with is an incredible um, task going forward, how to ever trust each other again. And it doesn't work out well for the person who was the betrayer or the person that actually you know, had infidelity, because even if they end up with another person, they have a hard time forming relationships where they trust each other again. Because as I alluded to, trust, not love, is the foundation of a relationship. So I I do think it works if both people are committed to the marriage. They love the marriage more than they love their own needs. And that's a big That's a big concept to really think about. But at the end of the day, if you can't say yes to that, then your chances of working it out are are not high. And it's not only you who has to commit to that. It's your partner. That if you both commit to the marriage, the thing that is bigger than the both of you, 
and you both put what you want to do on, on, a, on a side burner, if you will, you can make it work. And this is hard, hard work. Time, you, it's very hard work and you cannot blame each other because remember in a marriage, it's all about what can we do to salvage the marriage? What can we do to make the marriage better? So your partner wouldn't be giving you their phone and their password because you were better than them. They would do it because they knew that's what you had to do to save the marriage. So it takes all of this nagging out of the equation, all of this, you did this to me and you did this to me or you made me do this. And it's a new mindset. It's a refocus. We're doing this because the marriage demands it. Not my partner, not, you know. These are big, big things to do. And unless you have a psychotherapy training, it's probably too much to do alone. So this is when you need to come see Mary Jo Rapini. <laughs> because yeah. Well, or, or you need to see a therapist that, yeah. you know, it all depends what you, you know, and I think, Susan, we've been alluding and leading up to this the whole time. It's very important that you get clear about your values and what you want. And Dr. Mm -hmm. Susan, her whole stance is helping you speak your truth. Well, you can't speak your truth if you don't have insights into what it is. That's mm, so true. So these are these are tough topics. We're talking about healing hurts and speaking up when we're hurt. And how do we just start? I mean, coming back to sort of where we started, we were talking about some really basic skills, like learning how to just identify when we're hurt. Number one, okay, I'm hurt. And it might even just be learning how to say, ouch. Or in my mm -hmm. case, I learned how to, I was feeling yucky. I'm like, okay, what is that? What is that? Okay, I've got tightness in my chest. I'm feeling, and then name it. I'm feeling sad, angry, you know, just stopping for a second and learning how to identify what we're feeling and then learning how to communicate it in a kind way using that language starting with I feel. This is not yes. this is not taught in school, is it? I mean, we're not taught these skills. How, right. We have to learn them somehow. And often we learn them because we end up in therapy or from getting divorced or other things. But, you know, we would hope that we'd like to take an easier path than some of us have taken to learn these things. What are some other ways that we can just start making baby steps to heal our relationships and heal the hurt? I really like that. I I think one of the easiest things to do is instead of using the lingo, what do you think? You know, many times couples will sit down and I'll I'll ask them something and one of them will turn to the other and say, what do you think? I, I rephrase that. And I'm like, what do you feel? Mm. What do you feel? I want couples and individuals to get curious about why they feel the way they do. We could spend, you know, an hour at getting curious and asking each other, how does that make you feel? And listening to them. When you listen, you listen and then you feed it back. Like you, you, re, you restore it in a sense. Like when I say something, Dr. Susan is paraphrasing it. And then she's, she's asking you all or, or advising you all what to do. It's in that description that our partner begins understanding. 
Because what I had mentioned earlier in here, many people don't know what they feel. They don't have the adjective. If you ask your partner, how did that make you feel? They'll say bad, or I was mad, or I, you know, very rarely will they say something like my feelings were hurt. Mm -hmm. When you did that, my feelings. Yeah. And that's this. That's a practice. I think we just all could yes. could use to spend some time practicing naming different emotions. That like many of us can only name three or four, like sad, mad, angry, happy. But there's so many nuances to feelings. <laughs> like I feel a little bit jealous or kind of icky about the way that came out or just nuancing how does it really feel. And I think this is such a beautiful question to, to ask, what do you feel? How do you feel instead of what do you think? Because that's really taking it out of your head, where I think in my head, and I can rationalize and use all kinds of words or be clever. Dropping down into my body where I feel things, that's a different place. And it's much more vulnerable and real. And instead of just two people talking to each other, just sort of yakking back and forth at that point, they're really speaking from the heart, I think. Um, so I think that's a great practice just to say, how do you feel? What are you feeling? And then give some space because it might take a minute for them to come up with anything. Yeah. Cause we're not taught to do that. Right. And I, you know, when I reflect back, even hearing you say that just now, how do you feel? It makes me feel closer to you because mm-hmm. I, you're in, you're inviting me to, to a deeper level of communication. And I think when partners say that, they notice that. I think that's an under, we don't say that, but we don't have to because they feel it. That's so true. I have experienced that myself. And I actually wrote about this in my book, so I don't mind saying. Uh, I was married for 18 years and got divorced. And the catalyst to me getting divorced was um, I didn't, didn't have an affair, but I met somebody who asked me a question like that, like, how do you feel? And that just sort of blew my mind open because I realized that in my marriage, we never talked that way. And this was actually in a completely random situation. I was doing a triathlon and another athlete noticed that I was anxious and started asking me how I felt. And again, I write about this in my book because it's often, I experienced this with many women I interviewed who had not left their marriage because they were looking for an affair. They had just realized that there was something else out there, that there was a place where someone could ask you, how do you feel? Or I want to know more about you. It's incredibly attractive. So much that I left my 18-year marriage and I've seen it happen to other people because we weren't doing that. We were, we were not ever talking about how we felt. We were just talking on the thinking level. Um, so it's, it's so attractive when you start talking about how you feel. And if you're married, great, start talking about how you feel because that'll really bring that glue together, right? It's just, it really is inviting you to a deeper level. I love that you brought that up. Yeah, and I I think it's better for our sex lives, doctors. Oh, for sure. It's sexy. Like, I I don't want to have sex with someone who's just talking to me about what they think about the news or about the whatever. You want to have sex with someone who really wants to know you like we want to be seen and we want to be touched and loved and we want to see and touch and love this other human being 
that's where all that's where all this sexiness comes from for sure absolutely well it's always such a pleasure to have you here i know mary joe has to run off to another appointment but what a great topic and i learned some things and i remembered some things about how to heal the hurt and i hope that our listeners can start healing the hurt in their own relationships um, because it's just life is too short to walk around with a bunch of resentment on your shoulders, I can tell you. It's nice to let it go. And so, Mary Jo, for those listeners who might need some help with this, where can they find you? Um, the easiest way to find me is my website. And you just go to Mary, M-A-R-Y, Joe, J-O, and the last name Rapini, R-A-P-I-N-I.com. And there's all sorts of things that I have a YouTube channel and Dr. Susan always knows how to get a hold of me. So yes, I'm really excited that we're going to be working more together, Dr. Susan. Wait, I have a little secret. Yes, coming up yeah. soon, Mary Jo and I are going to be working together in the same physical space now that um, COVID is starting to leave us behind. So that's going to be some exciting news. And I do want to give a shout out to Mary Jo's YouTube channel because it's so great. Just little tidbits about things like what we're talking about today, about how to have happier healthier, more intimate relationships. So um, everybody check out Mary Jo's YouTube channel. It's amazing. If you subscribe, you'll get really cool stuff every week. And it's just great. I've learned so much from it. And thank you for sharing that with the world. We need more of you. We need to duplicate you a million times. But right now we just have one in YouTube. (laughs) Well, um, thank you so much for joining us again. I have a feeling you're going to be a regular guest on this podcast because we have so many more things to talk about. But thank you for joining us again, and I hope we'll get to talk to you soon. Thank you, Dr. Susan.